You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we dive back into our Sermon on the Mount series, a real talk. Our, our message today is entitled, <clears throat> If Looks Could Kill. And twice in the text it says, um, then your whole body be thrown into hell. The ramifications of this message are, are serious. Um, it's a, a message that, you know, if you could just pick your, your topics as you went along, you might just decide to skip this one over. Um, but that's not what we do here at Harvest. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and so these are the next verses, and, and so we're going to look at them. But the reality of these is um, if we don't deal with this properly, it can kill us. And uh, by the end of this message, everyone in the room is at some point in their life going to have guilty stamped on them in the context of these verses. And so it's a message that's uh, not an easy message, but it's a message that uh, we all need to hear. If looks could kill, um, kill your innocence, uh, perhaps kill your marriage. Perhaps kill your family or your trust or your walk with God or your ability to serve because of guilt and shame. But we don't need to fear because there's also great hope in this message and we'll see it as we go along. Uh, Up on the screen you're going to see a quote by John Owen and he said, Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Always. Always be killing sin or it will be be killing you. You got your Bibles open, so let's stand together. We want to honor God by reading his word, and uh, I'm going to start at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we hold in our hands your word. Not the thoughts of man, but the thoughts of Almighty God. And so, Lord, um, these are the verses for us to see. They are ordained by the way you ordered Scripture. And we've come to them today, and we come with a hearts, God, that uh, seek your help and your guidance and your strength. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your word is saying to us today. And, Lord, would you give us minds to understand it. But then, Lord, uh, we need passionate hearts to live for your glory. And so, as we've already sung, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I trust that those weren't just empty words that we sang before a message, but truly they are our heart's cry. And Lord, we want to hear from you today. So would you do in this place what only you can do? And do it for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. 
Well, as you know, Jesus had been out teaching and um, after a while he went up on the hillside to, to teach them and, and some uh, followed him. Not just the uh, 12, some others were there and we don't know exactly who. Well, you know that some of them weren't believers. Judas was there and he denied the Lord and walked away from the Lord. And, and so, uh, but it says that Jesus sat down and he taught them. And uh, so the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount starts with the, uh, uh, the Beatitudes and uh, things that we need to have characteristics that should be in our lives and and, and that's what he was calling them to and uh, before we took the break at Christmas we uh, took a look at anger and and today we come to a very strong uh, teaching of Jesus about adultery and about lust and uh, I believe the Lord put it on my heart to say what I'm about to say separate well it's part of the message but separate from the message and that is I want to be so caring in this message Because I realize there are people who are sitting in the room today who were involved in a marriage that ended in adultery and wasn't their thing. And uh, and just hearing those words can be so painful to hear. And uh, so I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be careful with that. At At the same time, I want you to know that we love you and we care for you as a church. And Uh, But then Jesus teaches these things, and so uh, we need to get into them, and we need to see them, and we need to treat God's Word honorably and fairly with the truth that it is. And and so that takes us to our text, and, and really the first point of our text is, if looks could kill, I would see beyond the traditional view of the commandment. I would see beyond the traditional view of what uh, Jesus uh, is laying out here. He says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And so in verse 27, Jesus first focuses on the letter of the law. He first focuses on what they plainly understood. Now that word adultery was considered an extremely serious offense. Because in addition to violating another person, it broke the marriage covenant. And that was a a reflection of our relationship with God. We see that in the New Testament, even greater in Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about the relationship of the wife to the husband and Christ to the church. Our our marriages are, are a picture of our relationship with God and how much he cares for us and how much he loves for us. And adultery is the breaking of that. But Jesus starts out here with the the plain understanding of what the law was. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees, they would have understood that. They would have taught that. Every good Jew would know about that law. But here was the deal. They understood the oral tradition of it. But they got to the place where they stressed as long as you didn't commit the act... As long as you didn't do it, as long as you didn't commit adultery, then you weren't guilty. Uh, They just took it out to the physical. And as long as you didn't do that, you were okay. So, So they lowered the bar to a level that basically most people could jump over, no problem. Yeah, I'm not going to, so please don't stand up. But if I said to you, let's have everyone in the room stand up and, and, and sit down Sit down if you have not committed adultery. The act, right? Well, virtually everybody, most people in the room would sit down. There'd be a few very nervous people uh, still standing, right? But they missed the point. 
Because they got to the, oh, I haven't done it, so I'm okay. And uh, that's not really what Jesus was getting to. They emphasized the letter of the law, and they missed out on the spirit of the law, and what Jesus was really trying to teach them. Now, in our society today, adultery, who cares, right? It, it's what all couples do, it seems, that aren't saved. They just, there's no standard for them. You do what you want. And every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And that's very much the way our culture is. And the, the whole marriage picture has been so destroyed now that the, even this illustration for some people is like, what's the big deal? Well, this is a big deal to God. Adultery is a big deal to God. It's listed right after murder in the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. In the Old Testament, it was guilty as a capital offense with a death penalty. You can see that in Leviticus chapter 20. We know that God's promised to judge those who are adulterers. You see that in Hebrews 13 uh, chapter 4. And so adultery is a serious, serious offense. The act of, of adultery is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, the picture of sexual sin is used all through Scripture. As a matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, you have a picture of those who go whoring after other gods and other things. And, and so this whole area of sexuality is a picture of sin is, is all through Scripture, and it's a great picture for us to learn from. And, and so Jesus starts out with them by understanding what the traditional view of the law was, if looks could kill, I would see beyond the traditional view of the commandment. Here's the second point of looks could kill. I would embrace the teaching of Jesus on this commandment. If looks could kill, I would embrace the teaching of Jesus on the commandment. Look at verse 28. But I say to you, all right, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Jesus isn't going to add something that they shouldn't have known. He's not going to add something that he's just going to make them come back to understand what was meant in the first place. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So after Jesus focuses on the letter of the law, now Jesus moves to the heart of the law. And the reality is... We're all declared guilty. Everyone in the room virtually is declared guilty by what these verses say. If you even think about, if you even have lustful intent in your heart, every believer in the room, not just unsaved people, don't be so pious, we're guilty. When we sin on the outside, we demonstrate that we've already sinned on the inside. And so Jesus is about to teach some things differently. So what does he say in this? Well, he's saying one does not have to commit the act to be guilty of adultery. That's the first thing. The second thing is one is just as guilty when one looks at a woman to lust for her as he is for the person who actually commits the act. And, and that was blowing the, the scribes and the Pharisees away because they were all over the, well, I haven't done it, so I'm okay. And Jesus said, if you've thought about it, you're just as guilty as the person who has done the act. Here's another thing you need to grab out of, the, uh, out of this verse. We're going to come back and see this. It's, it's not the looking that's the problem. It's the looking to lust. That's the problem. And we're going to come back to that because in our society today and, and how we handle this and how we grow in this, we need some tools that can help us. So we will we'll come back to that. But the, the reality is um, a person may look at another person with admiration for beauty 
and not be guilty of lust. It's not a sin to look at a woman or find her attractive. I'm pretty much convinced that men aren't smart enough to find women attractive if they weren't beautiful. We're just kind of like, whoa, oh, there she is. I like her. And that 15-year-old girl you saw across the room in, in high school, and you went, whoa, she's cute. That's not the sin. The looking isn't the sin. Uh, same thing for women going on the other side of this. It's not a sin to think that a man is handsome. Sue did at one point. Why do you find that so funny? <laughs> it's not a sin to find a man as handsome. Or maybe even a romantic husband. See, that's actually the funny part of this line. Um, it's not a sin. The looking isn't the problem. But if you go further, and when you go further, you quickly enter a dangerous area and eventually you end up in sin. Jesus is also not saying that the act of adultery and adultery in the heart is the same thing. He's not saying it's the same thing. What he's trying to get them to understand, because see, they, they had separated so far that, well, because I didn't do the act, I was innocent. What Jesus is trying to help them understand is how serious this is and how they're all guilty. They were all guilty of this. The act of adultery is far worse than adultery in the heart. Jesus pointed it not to say they are the same thing, but to say they're both sin and both prohibited by the command against adultery. One more thing. The principle applies to much more than men looking at women. Uh, so ladies in the room, because it says, you know, it's, it's kind of written to the men. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. So it's kind of like, well, we're off the hook. Right? For most of us in the room, we're off the hook. This is for the men. No, this is for all of us. And this is for all of us. And, and so it would have been said five years ago how rampant pornography is and how rampant things that we're seeing on our phones is and all the rest of this and, and, and every man's struggle. Every man's struggle. And if you're a man who doesn't struggle with it, then let me tell you, you're the oddball out in this. This is a struggle for every man. But let me also tell you, this is a struggle for women. And it's changing in our world and what used to be viewed as a man's issue is not just a man's issue. It's an issue for everyone. It's an issue for all of us. And, and so this text is for that. But the text also is not just about adultery. It's about whatever you go after, whatever you covet, whatever you want that, that puts God off of the throne and puts you on the throne. The reality is it's an issue of the heart. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at our heart. See, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were like, well, we're okay. I've never done it. I've never done it. Innocent, not guilty, not guilty. And just like God is doing to some in the room right now, God is about to do to them, but God looks at your heart. But God looks at your heart. And that's really what Jesus was coming to. Jesus' interpretation of the law was not different from what the law had actually taught in the first place. They had just taken it and made it. If you haven't done the act, you're innocent. And Jesus goes, now let's go back to what the law was really about in the first place. So back in Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. That's the act. You're not, you're not supposed to do that. But if you uh, just go a little bit further in the Ten Commandments to Exodus 20, 17, it says you're not to covet your neighbor's wife, her gifts, her ability, her. 
or, her, or their animals, or their fields, or their... And coveting became the issue of the heart. We're not supposed to be about those things. Job understood this. Job says in Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? So he understood that this goes beyond the act and comes to a matter of the heart. And Jesus is interpreting it in such a way and helping them to understand that we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And that interpretation for them, they pushed against their pompous self-righteousness. But Jesus says to them and says to all of us, guilty. Guilty. And that's exactly what the law was intended to do. To make the whole world guilty before God so that they would not seek to come before God in our own righteousness, but that we'd seek that righteousness that God has provided for us, that we might have that standing before God in the, in the righteousness before God, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the law was a schoolmaster to drive us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ in these verses is saying, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. So let's go now and kind of take the verse apart a little bit. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, everyone who looks at a woman, some people stop there. And it's like, well, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say you can't look at a woman. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for me because more than half of the people in the room are women. So it's not saying don't look at a woman. It's saying don't look at a woman. You got to go to the next part of the verse because that gives you what it's about with lustful intent. It's a heart issue. It begins at the center of our being. This is not enough to maintain physical purity alone. We also have to guard from engaging mentally in acts of unfaithfulness. So he says, whoever looks at a woman with lustful Intent. If you look in your dictionary, it gives a good definition of, of lust. It's an intense, unrestrained craving. Specifically here, sexual craving or an overwhelming desire or craving. Lust has as its focus, it's the word right out of the text, lust has as its focus pleasing yourself. That's what lust does. Lust is all about self-pleasure. It's all about pleasing yourself. And it often, most often, leads to unhealthy um, actions. It fulfills the desires that you have regardless of the consequences. Lust is about, you ready? Lust is about possession and greed. That's what it comes down to. Lust is about possession and greed. And yet my faith is about selflessness and being, heart, being marked by holy living. So let's kind of pull this apart a little bit more so we can better understand it. Lust is willful allowing. Lust is a decision. It's a choice that we make. I choose something. I want this more than I want what is right. And the picture Jesus is talking about is all about sexuality. And maybe that's not your thing, but it could be all kinds of other things. But lust is a choice. I choose what I want. And I want it more than I want to be right with God. Here's another reality. Lust is pleasurable. It's pleasurable. 
don't kid yourself. You all know. Some of you are going to go to the secret place in your house yesterday afternoon or did that thing that nobody else knows. Why did you do it? Because you like it. It's pleasurable. It's sinful, but it's pleasurable. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. If sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it. But it's pleasurable. There's pleasure in sin for a season. It's coming back. Truth and time run hand in hand. It's coming back. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be a making right of all of these things. It's a willful act. It's a pleasurable act. It's also filled with gratification, self-gratification. Something clicks and I'm going after that and I don't care anymore. Lust is always filled with wrongful Um, priority or wrongful directed sexual desire. My desire is supposed to be for my wife and nobody else. And when it's not, and it's not for you, then it's for something that's not for you. It's not right for you. It's wrong for you. And if you're not married, it's still not right for you. That desire in a good place is an amazing thing. That desire in a wrong place is a terrible thing and it destroys us and it kills our families and it kills our relationship and it kills our service. It kills our peace. It's filled with gratification, desiring for something that's not for us. And it takes place deep inside of us. Something clicks and I no longer care So let me give you three really practical things about lust. And when does this looking become lusting? Because that's really the comparative that Jesus puts up in the text. He says, "Uh, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Where's the line? Where does this happen? Let me understand and tell you this is not like a perfect line for you to understand, but you'll get it and you're going to see it. So here's three things. Looking becomes lust when I stare. Looking becomes lust when I stare. Intuitively, we all know that there's some difference between looking at someone and staring at them. It's one thing to notice someone. It's another to intensely watch them. And, and you know, so, so we try to make the rules. Like sometimes in youth ministry, you would say, like, have a three-second rule. Don't look at a girl for more than three seconds, right? And believe me, the damage is already done if your heart is wrong. It's like stupidest thing in the world. Now, I understand what the purpose of that is. But it's like, well, okay, so I can do this for three seconds and it's okay? Right? And so I'll say this to you. If you have to ask, is it too long? It's too long. It's too long. Looking becomes lusting when I stare. Well, what happens when you stare? When you stare, an image is being burnt into your head that doesn't go away. That's what happens. You're staring. You're taking the image. You're like, flash folders, just like, it's being burnt into your mind. Looking becomes lusting when I stare. It takes a mental picture. If you're staring, you're burning that image into your memory and it is not easily erased. Looking becomes lusting when I stare. Looking becomes lusting when I fantasize. 
Sometimes we do this while we stare. We build a fantasy in our mind. You start talking to the person, building relationship with the person, and then moving to things with this person that are just not honorable to the Lord. And so looking becomes lusting when I stare. Looking becomes lusting when I start to fantasize. And here's the last one. Looking becomes lusting when I objectify. When I objectify. Well, what do you, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, you cease to view that person as a person. You're not really viewing them as a person. They're just an object for you. We do this and we focus on a person's body or body parts instead of focusing on them as a person. And then we move from relating to them as a human being and thinking of them as as just an object. We begin to evaluate them that way and we're detached from reality and I would be brave enough to say that virtually everyone in the room at some point in their life after trusting Christ has even been guilty of this. And if it's not about sex, it's about something else or you've lusted for it, and you've wanted it, and maybe even you've taken it in your mind. This wasn't new. This is not like it's not a new thing for you today. This is this is it's obvious for us. This was, Jesus was teaching about that back in his day. The, the sin hasn't changed. The the bent to sin hasn't changed. Jesus says, don't, don't hang your thing on, well, I've never done the act, so I'm okay. When, when God's looking at your heart today, he's looking at your heart. That's what he's seeing. He's seeing the unbalance you have in some things and the things where you're not seeking after the things you ought to be seeking after. And, and in our world, it gets even more complex with all the pornography that's rampant for us and sexual chat and all that can happen and erotic stories that are out there and... Let me tell you something, these things do not satisfy sexual desire, they feed it. There's no satisfaction in this, there's a feeding of it. The creating of a desire for more. It doesn't build intimacy, it doesn't bring people together, it alienates people. It trains us to objectify and fantasize rather than to love and serve and relate. Our our goal is to treat people with love and with dignity. And some of the things we find ourselves looking at, some of the things we find ourselves watching, it's not easy. You can't go up to the mall and walk through the mall today without seeing things you ought not see. But how much gazing do you do? How much staring do you do? And how much of that image burning in your mind do you have? James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I want what I want. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth, it brings forth death, Matthew 15, 18 and 19 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, I was thinking of two people in the Bible who are a great picture of what we're talking about today. The, the first one was Achan. So the, they're going in to conquer the land in Joshua around chapter 6 or 7 and, and, uh, and they were told not to take anything. The things that were there belonged back to the nation. 
And they go in and the walls fall down and they go into Jericho and Achan steals some things and then they go down to the next battle and they're defeated and Joshua's wondering what in the world's happened to us and through a whole process of things it comes down to Achan is the one. Achan is the reason. And, um, and so he is brought forward and, and he said, um, I saw in the spoils. I saw in the spoils. That wasn't wrong. He couldn't help that. He was going through. Was, I saw. And then it says, I wanted them and I took them. I saw can't help that. I wanted, we're crossing the line, and I took. That's Achan's story. And then there's David and Bathsheba. David should have been in battle with his men. I don't know how many times he walked out on the roof and saw Bathsheba down on the roof below. I, I don't know what her motives were. I don't know, I don't know any of that. All I know is uh, he saw which he couldn't help that, not the first time. And he wanted, and he took. Achan was put to death for what he did. And David suffered because of his sin for the rest of his life. There were consequences to his sin that went on for the rest of his life. Now, not that he was without hope, because the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, and there was restoration for him, and there was forgiveness for him, but there was consequences to what he had done. There was consequences to his sin. All of sin, none is righteous, not even one. And so Jesus says in verse 28, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. But Jesus had also taught in this same teaching in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 he says um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness blessed are those who hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness so as Jesus is teaching just very few verses earlier he's like get your heart get your mind set on righteousness get your heart get your mind set on the things of God get your heart get your mind set on the things that will bring glory to the Savior get him on the throne and here he's saying, do not allow your mind to be sucked in and taken where God is taken off the throne and you are put on the throne and what you want in your selfishness, that's all you're ever going for. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her and his heart. Leads us to the third thing. If looks could kill, I would change. If looks could kill, I would change. Look what it says in the uh, last two verses. If your, righteous, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. There's a war going on here. There's a battle going on here. This is a kill or be killed situation. He's dealing with sin. In dealing with it, we have to do whatever it takes. So he says, if your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin. In some of the other versions it says if they offend you. Um, it's the same word that was used describing Jesus at one point, that he's an offense. That he's a stumbling block. Now it's not, it's opposite illustration. 
But it's like if these things, if these things become an offense to you, they become a stumbling block to you, they become a stone that's placed in the way, anything by which we fall or ensnared, says get rid of it. Do whatever it takes to get rid of it. If your right eye offends you, take it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. See, we've taken that word and watered it down right now. To, we've, the word offend just means if it displeases you, you offended me, you made me upset. That's basically what it means. And that's like a two out of ten of what this verse is really talking about. It's the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about, how we're supposed to deal with these things. If your right hand or your right eye, tear it out, cut it off. Now, lots of discussion about why the right eye, why the, the uh, right hand. And personally, I just think because for most people, especially with the hand, it's your dominant hand. Most of you are right-handed in this room. So this is not a trick question. If you're right-handed, raise your right hand. Everybody, please, don't, don't be shy now. There's, it's not a vote, okay? Okay, right. It's like 95% of the people in the room are right-handed. It's our dominant hand. We all have a dominant eye, too. I don't know if there's the same science in that. If you're left-handed, it doesn't make you freaky or weird. It just means people can't sit beside you at the dinner table because your elbows are hitting and stuff like that. God made you special. Okay. That's for all the left-handed people. If your right eye offends you, tear it out. That's how serious what Jesus is talking about is. If your left hand offends you, cut it off. Now, is Jesus literally telling them to pluck an eyeball out or to, tear, or to cut your hand off? No, I don't believe that at all. But I do believe what he's saying. This is serious and you better not be playing around with it. Well, how do I know that? Well, well, here's the reality. If the problem is looking and you tear out your right eye, it doesn't solve the problem. You still have a left eye. I don't believe he's talking literally. He's giving a picture. If your right hand, things you're touching, things you're involved, it offends you, cut it off. It doesn't solve the problem. You still have a left hand. Now Jesus is talking about the seriousness of all this and he's saying literally we need to get rid of these things in our lives. There's a great verse that Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. It says, um, this is the will of God, your sanctification. I've used that verse many times. It's a great verse. It's a true verse. What's God's will for everyone in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ? Your sanctification. That you would be more holy. You would be more like Jesus Christ. We're supposed to grow up in that all of the time. That needs to be the goal in our life. And that's true. It's not untrue at all. But it doesn't do justice to what he's saying in the verse. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 5, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does your sanctification look like? He says it right in the next word. That you abstain from sexual immorality. And that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles or unsaved who do not know God. We are supposed to look different. Our lives are supposed to be different. And so Jesus is saying, this is so serious. You do whatever it takes so that you will have victory in this area of your life. Well, if you're sitting here today and 
feeling a weight of guilt, um, there's hope for us. Um, uh, the reality is if you're outside of Christ and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, this might be a, well, that's a good talk and maybe I should maybe not try to do some of those things, but there's no, there's no connection between you and God and, and what is righteous and what is unrighteous in your life. But for the followers of Jesus Christ in this room, this all comes down to our relationship with the Lord. This all comes out the passion to be right with God, the passion to hunger and thirst after righteousness comes because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes because the Lord Jesus Christ came and he died for my sin and he paid the price and he went to the cross. He suffered so I could have eternal life and that we received as a gift. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, the gift of eternal life is a gift that comes from God. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it's available for you by believing. Believing. I believe most of the people in the room have made a profession of faith where they put their trust in Jesus Christ for their savior, as their Savior. And if you haven't, you can do that. That's where it really all begins. A life of righteousness is not a life of good works. A life of righteousness begins in the working of Jesus Christ where he makes us just like we never sinned because he takes all of our sin away and we get a clean slate and we start again. And a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what Christ has done for you. But maybe right now you're feeling the weight of the guilt of these verses. You maybe have never committed the act, and maybe you have, and there's forgiveness there. There's restoration there. But most people in the room, that doesn't describe them. Most of us are under the eye. I've looked at some things. I've thought some things. I've had some things. And, and maybe you've never got that right with the Lord. And maybe you're overwhelmed in this whole area and pornography is rampant in your life and nobody knows about it. It's a big secret thing. And so you haven't committed the act, but you're forgetting that God's looking at your heart. And the neat thing for everyone in the room is that we can come to the Lord in confession. We can come to the Lord and he'll forgive us. Oh, how many times I've tried this before, right? It's a new day. How many times has the Lord forgiven you for many other things in your life? Seven times? Seventy times? Seventy times? Seven times? And you can come to the Lord in confession today. And you can be forgiven. And you can have a fresh start. It comes with repentance. It comes with turning. Not just, I'm not going to do that anymore but changing our mind about these things. The beatitude was those who hunger and thirst after righteousness instead of hungering and thirsting after these things that you want that displease the Lord so much that you learn to hate those things and you go after hungering and thirsting after what pleases the Lord. That's what I'm going to go for. That's the new start I have today. God, I've confessed my sin. You have forgiven me. God, I have a repentant heart. Help me, God. Help me, God, to turn from these things and think about them the way you think about them and hate them and put them away. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. In 2 Timothy 2.22 it says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Well, wait a minute. Uh, that's what's said in Matthew. 
So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Church, it's time to be right with God. It's time for communion. It's time to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. It's time to be right with him. It's time to call out the Lord, call out to the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wickedness, any wicked way in me. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. Pastor, you're calling us out today. No, God's word's calling you out today. Calling me out today. A communion, not for perfect people. It's for forgiven people. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, communion isn't really for you. Communion is a picture to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. It's not for perfect Christians, or none of us would dare, dare ever touch this. But it's for people who've been forgiven. And maybe as this message has gone on today, you've been on the, once again, I've got to come before the Lord and get this right. And so we're going to search our hearts for a few minutes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, don't fool around with this. Some people are sick. Some people have even died because they play around with sin in their life and they think this doesn't mean anything. But we don't have to be fearful of it because the Lord told us to do it. He wouldn't have told us to do something we couldn't get to the level of. We couldn't reach that. But in Jesus Christ, I have been made right. My sins are forgiven. And now I search my heart and now I come and now I receive. Make sure you take both a double stack and in one is a cracker and the other one is some juice and it represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And You see, seeking after righteousness comes out of understanding what Christ has done in making us righteous. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a minute and be quiet before the Lord. And the things that you've heard today, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, get that right with him. And then when you're ready, come. Don't, don't not come. Get right with the Lord. Or maybe you're going to have to talk to somebody after. Maybe you're going to get right with the Lord. There's trays all across the front here. There's a couple trays at the back. And, uh, and you go when you're ready and you receive. Take it back to your seat. And then when you're ready, you take the elements. Take a moment. Prepare your heart. And when you're ready, you come. Matthew 5 tells us that um, Jesus sat down and he taught them. And um, some pretty amazing teaching. And I'm not naive or simple enough to believe that in some of these things we don't need help. It's scriptural to get help. Um, Consider how you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And there may be some of these things you need to find someone to come alongside to help you with um, some accountability. Uh, maybe it's in your small group and there needs to be some honesty about some things. Uh, maybe it's with your spouse and there needs to be some honesty about some things. There needs to be some getting some things right and, and the road might even be bumpy, but if God is on the throne and the glory of God is what we're going after, then uh, we're going to see an amazing result.
And so with God's help, we started out this before I spoke about Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we will not have victory in this without God's help and without his strength and without our eyes fixed on him and crying out to the Lord. But the Christian life is lived in community, it's lived in fellowship, and it's how we help each other and spur one another on and encourage one another and get that help. If this creates some things out of today's message and you need to call the church, call the church. That's why we're here. We're called to salvation, we're called to confession and forgiveness, we're called to repentance, and if you need, get help. Well, so what? Right? So what? You know, I read this week this statement. It says, stay away from tempting situations. Stay away from tempting people. Stay away from the situations you know are going to tempt you. Just stay away from them. Stay away from tempting people. The people who are dragging you down and messing you up. and Stay away from them. The illustration that um, Owens gave said this, it'll go back on the stream, screen, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. You know, the reality is followers of Jesus Christ, we have freedom from the power of sin. Power does, sin does not have to rule over us, not in Jesus Christ. But we're not yet free from the presence of sin. And so we're going to be tempted and before the afternoon is over, if you've been caught up in some of these things and they're rampant in your life, before the afternoon is over, you're going to be tempted again. And will you choose to follow hard after righteousness or will you choose to follow hard after what you want that doesn't bring glory to God? Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, this is a text that Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching them. And I'm sure the Pharisees and the scribes, they hit them out of left field. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought they had it all put together until Jesus changes the focus and takes the focus away from their physical, what they do or don't do, and moves it to their heart. And Lord, you've done that for us today. Would you give us hearts, God, that strive for righteousness? Would you give us hearts that hate sin and love you, Lord? Would you give us hearts that focus on the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us? And then, Lord, in some of these things, we're asking for victory. We're asking for memories that have been, been just, they're just there, that, Lord, you would take them away. We're asking, God, that you would be our helper and strength. Father, that we be people of God who bring you glory. Lord, we know that it's a battle. We know that it goes on. We know we're not yet what we will be. We know we're not yet even what we should be. But God, we do know this. As followers of Christ, we're not what we used to be. So give us courage and boldness and confidence to move ahead for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.